So tonight we are picking up where Canon Tanner left off in our explanation of the Offertory of the Mass. So if you watch the video with Canon Tanner, he finished with the beautiful prayer, Veni Sanctificator Omnipotens Eterne Deus. The priest is going to come and to call down the Holy Ghost upon the offerings on the altar, just as the Holy Ghost overshadowed the Virgin Mary in the Incarnation at the moment of her Annunciation. So we're going to pray that the Holy Ghost would overshadow the gifts which have already been set aside by the Offertory in anticipation of becoming the Body, Blood, Soul, and Divinity of our Lord. So at this moment, in a solemn Mass, the Paten will have been taken by the Subdeacon, and he is going to go to the base of the altar and stand there for the rest of the offertory in the canon. Often people ask about this, what is the subdeacon doing during the sub, uh, during the solemn mass? He has the paten in front of his face and the uh, humeral veil around his shoulders. The subdeacon represents the Old Testament. So the three ministers are Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever. And the subdeacon, therefore, is the representation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, which is veiled. We don't yet have the full presence of our Lord, and so he will be before the presence at the foot of the altar, but watching through a veil. Now, as we come to this part, we have the next, the incensing of the offerings, and this is the most uh, solemn incensing, in a sense, at the the Mass with a special prayer of blessing. And it says, uh, May the Lord, by the intercession of the blessed Michael, the Archangel, who standeth at the right side of the altar of incense and of all his elect, vouchsafe to bless this incense and receive it as an odor of sweetness through Christ our Lord. Amen. So you may rec uh, recognize that the image comes from the book of Revelation. Many of, many liturgical images come from Revelation or the Apocalypse. Uh, there's a famous Catholic author, Scott Hahn, who wrote an entire book about this called The Lamb's Supper. Very interesting, worth, uh, worth reading. But we're going to have the image of St. Michael the Archangel at the altar of the Lord. As well, you, we'll see other images, such as the image of the saints beneath uh, the altar, the martyrs. Of course, you have below the offerings at the high altar, the uh, presence of the the relics underneath that we've already talked about earlier in the Catechism. But these images, uh, which are so rich, come to us from the book of Revelation. The priest will bless the, bless the incense with this prayer, asking for the intercession of St. Michael the Archangel. And then he's going to incense the offering. So I'd like to show you the diagram from the Missa, which explains how this is done. It's not ad libitum, it's not how for the priest feels like doing it, but there's a very specific way that it's set out by the by the by the rubrics, uh, by the by the missal. And if we look here, we will see, hopefully I'll get it on camera so that you can see it well. Over the offering, if we imagine that the chalice is here and the host is here, the 
priest, while he's praying, will make three signs of the cross, this way, this way, and then in this direction. And you'll say, Incensum istuit a te benedictum, ascendit a te domine. And then after that, as I raise it up so that you can see it, um, yes, after that, he will then make three circles around the offerings, around the chalice and the host, saying, et descendet uh, misericordia, uh, I'm sorry, et descendet supernos misericordia tua. I'm trying to read upside down. So we have the three crosses and then the three circles around the offerings. And interesting to note, I've never considered this before myself, but we talked about the Kyrie, how you have three times three. You also have this um, three by three structure in the incensing of the offerings. So a total of nine strokes by the celebrant with the thurible. Of course, the cross, um, makes us think of the sacrifice of the cross, which is represented in the Mass. And then also the number three, the sacrifices being offered for the glory of the Holy Trinity. So after he's incensed the offerings, the chalice and the host, then the entire altar will be Incensed. Let's see if we can get it on screen. Our cameraman tells us we're doing a good job. So next, after that, he will genuflect. And then you can see the numbers of the incensing that follow. So first, it will be the cross three times. And during this time, he's going to um, say the Psalm Dirigator. So the, which I re will read to you for a moment, but the words are very carefully lined up with each of the swings of the thurible. So first you have the cross, then you would have the relics to the left of the altar and to the right. In a penitential season such as Advent, you will not have the relics on the altar, but for any feast they will come back. And then the priest goes to his right, incensing the altar and then makes his way back to the left, and then he's going to come back and finish here. So during that time, the prayer that he is saying is from Psalm 140. It says, Let my prayer, Lord, be directed as incense in thy sight, the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, and a door round about my lips. Incline not my heart to evil words to make excuses in sin. So as, as Ken and Tanner mentioned in the first incensing, we have this link which is made between the sacrifice of the Mass and the ancient uh, morning and evening sacrifices of the Jews, referenced in Psalm 140. And then as the priest makes his way back, to the epistle side of the altar, he will pass the thurible to the deacon with the prayer that says, may the Lord enkindle within us the fire of his love and the flame of everlasting charity. So again, we have here the, the allegorical sense of the thurible, of the incense and the, the charcoals, 
often fire is compared to the fire of the Holy Ghost or the fire of charity. So it is through charity that our prayers are acceptable. They rise up to God. If, as St. Paul says, if we have not charity, we're nothing. In the same way, if you don't have coals that are adequately lit, nothing's going to happen with the incense, and Ken and Tanner will become very upset. So, um, so the deacon has taken the, the, the thurible. He is going to incense the celebrant, and at this moment, unless it's a requiem mass, the deacon will then go and, and incense the other ministers, and um, if there are any priests in the choir, they will be incensed. And everyone from the other ministers all the way to the people will be incensed because we're all going to, even though there's of course a great distinction between the ordained priesthood and the priesthood of the faithful, still the people in their own way are going to come as baptized Christians and offer their sacrifice and unite their sacrifice to the sacrifice which is taking place at the altar. So, with that said, the priest comes to the epistle corner, and he will then do the rite of the lavabo, of, of the washing of the hands. If it is a low mass, in fact, he will only um, wash the two digits, the sacerdotal digits, which will touch the Blessed Sacrament, but in a solemn Mass, after he has imposed incense, the hands actually have, uh, have, some, have some residue from the incense, and so then he will actually wash his entire uh, hands um, at the lavabo. Now, it's often, it's often stated by liturgists that this rite is in its origin, just practical. That is that as the offerings were brought up and received by the, by the priests during the offertory, his hands were dirty, so he needed to wash them before the mass. That's not, that's not false. So often in the liturgy, we have things that exist for a very practical reason. Just like um, after having imposed incense, the hands can be dirty, so there's a practical reason for washing the hands at the lavabo. And if we're going to handle our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, we want our hands to be as clean as possible. So that's a practical meaning. But of course, we don't want to just stop at the practical meaning. So when we're talking about allegory, we begin at the most concrete level, but we want to rise from that to more spiritual considerations. So the lavabo makes us think first of, of course, there's a practical, physical cleanliness that we need, but there's also the spiritual cleanliness we need. And the priest will recite part of Psalm 25, if he's forgotten it, or if he needs help to jog his memory, that is on the altar card that we might have within the picture. Very good. And the part of the lavabo that he reads of the psalm goes, I will wash my hands among the innocent, and will compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may hear the voice of thy praise, and tell of all thy wondrous works. O Lord, I have loved the beauty of thy house, and the place where thy glory dwelleth. Destroy not my soul with the wicked, O God, nor my life with men of blood. 
in whose hands are iniquities, their right hand is filled with gifts. But I have walked in innocence, redeem me and have mercy on me. My foot hath stood in the straight way, in the churches I will bless thee, O Lord. And then the glory be to the Father. What's interesting about this, I think, in the spiritual sense, one of the things we want to note is we have the contrast of innocence and then guilt. And as we're preparing to enter into the Holy of Holies with the, the canon, we're reminded of what St. Paul says, let uh, before a man receive uh, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, let him examine himself. So is, our, is the priest going to approach our Lord in a worthy fashion or as a false disciple, as a kind of Judas? So uh, we have this reference again, destroy not my soul with the wicked, O God, nor my life with men of blood, uh, in whose hands are iniquities. Their right hand is filled with gifts. Gifts in this sense uh, refers to, could refer to bribes or to um, sort of... Uh, anything that is is hypocritical uh, use so if we offer God our sacrifices in a hypocritical manner now I'm already going way over my time so we're going to have to bring this to a rapid conclusion so much that we can talk about with the mass we can't do a full explanation of everything here so just a few final points that hopefully will help nourish your piety during the mass after the vowel, the priest is going to return to the center of the altar. He will be back in this uh, posture that we've seen before, bowing down with his hands joined upon the altar. And he will say this prayer, Sushipe Sancta Trinitas, receive a Holy Trinity. I'll let you um, look at it in your own missal. But again, it reminds us that the sacrifice is a sacrifice in the presence and for the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then we have a reference to the Passion, Resurrection, and Ascension of our Lord. So all three are linked in the Paschal Mystery that is uh, present in the sacrifice of the Mass. Of course, um, in order for our Lord's uh, sacrifice to be effective for us, our Lord rises from the dead, and we will see later how the resurrection is represented as well in the Mass, not just the Passion, but the resurrection. And of course, the Ascension, our Lord is going to enter into the Holy of Holies to present his sacrifice in heaven to the Father. Then, then we see uh, Our Lady as referenced, and John the Baptist, whom Jesus refers to as the greatest among those born of, of women and then the holy apostles peter and paul who, upon which the his the roman church will be founded and then all of the saints and then at that point the priest will kiss the altar he will turn uh, he will turn around he will open his hands and say the orate fratres pray brethren that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Father Almighty. So one thing to, to note of interest here is that this is the last time that the priest will turn and face the people um, before, the, before the canon of the Mass, and he will not turn to face them again until uh, toward the communion.
So now the priest is really going to enter into the Holy of Holies, and he's going to ask the people to, to pray uh, with him and for him. And then you have the response, of course, may the Lord receive the sacrifice from thy hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our welfare and that of his holy, for, and that of his holy church. And then after that, uh, the priest is going to conclude this part with a prayer called the secret. You have it in your missal, so it's not a total secret, but secret in the sense that it's, said, um, it's not said out loud. And also uh, something to note for you if you're trying to follow along the, the, in the missal at home or during the Mass. The secret is one of the three prayers that is linked in every Mass. So we've seen the collect already. Here you have the secret, and later you have a prayer called the post-communion. And these three prayers are always linked together. You always have uh, one, two, or three in quantity. And the order of those one, two, or three prayers will be the same for the collect, the communion, and I'm sorry, the collect, the secrets, and the post-communion. So we've got collects, Collects match the secrets, and the secrets match the post-communions at the end of the Mass. So these prayers, they, upon their conclusion, we will enter into the preface, the great uh, dialogue which introduces us, brings us into the Holy of Holies, into the action of the canon, where the priest will turn himself entirely to the Heavenly Father in persona Christi to offer the sacrifice of the cross, the sacrifice of our redemption. Amen.